Chapter Fifteen of the Gorilla Hunters by R. M. Ballantyne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Adele Pignoroles. Chapter Fifteen: An Unexpected Meeting. We fly, and I make a narrow escape from an appalling fate. During many days after the incidents narrated in the last chapter, did Jack, Peterkin, and Makarooroo and I push across the continent through bush and brake, over hill and dale, morass and plain, at our utmost possible speed. We did not, during the whole course of our journey, overtake the Portuguese slave-dealer, but we thought little of that, for it was not very probable that we should hit upon exactly the same route, and we entertained sanguine hopes that the energy and speed with which we kept steadily and undeviatingly on our way would enable us to reach the village of Mabongo before the slave-dealer and his party. When I look back upon that time now, and reflect calmly on the dangers we encountered and the hardships we endured, I confess that I am filled with amazement. I might easily fill several volumes such as this with anecdotes of our encounters with wild animals and other adventures, but however interesting these might be in themselves, I must not forget that some of the main incidents of our sojourn in Africa have yet to be related, and that there is a limit to the patience of even youthful readers. Our power of enduring fatigue and sustained active exertion, with comparatively short intervals of nightly repose, was much greater than I could have believed to be possible. I have no doubt that anxiety to save Okandaga from the terrible fate that hung over her enabled us to bear up under fatigues which would at other times have overcome us. I know not well how it was that I kept up with my strong and agile comrades. Oftentimes I felt ready to drop down as I walked, yet somehow I never thought of falling behind, but went doggedly on, and at nights found myself little worse in condition than they. Peterkin, although small, was tough and springy, and his spirit seemed rather to rise than otherwise as his strength abated. As for Jack, I never saw anyone like him. He seemed like a lion roaming in his strength over his native deserts. So hardened had we all become during the course of our travels that we found ourselves not only equal to Makarooroo in pedestrian powers, but superior, for when occasion required we could almost knock him up. But I am free to admit that we never succeeded in doing this thoroughly. In short, we were all as nearly as possible equal to each other, with the exception of Jack, who seemed in every way invulnerable. During this long and hurried but intensely interesting and delightful journey, we came upon, at different times, almost every species of animal, plant, and tree peculiar to the African continent. Oftentimes we passed by droves and herds of elephants, deer, buffaloes, giraffes, antelopes, and zebras. We saw rhinoceroses, alligators, leopards, lions, apes of several kinds, and smaller monkeys innumerable. We also saw great numbers of birds, some curious on account of their habits and form, others beautiful and bright as the rainbow. Yet, although, as I have said, this journey was very delightful, our feelings were at different times exceedingly varied, and not unfrequently pained, for while we saw around us much that was beautiful, innocent, and lovely, we also witnessed the conflicts of many wild creatures, and sometimes came across evidences of the savage and cruel dispositions of the human beings by whom the country was peopled. We always, however, carefully avoided native villages, being anxious not to be interrupted on our forced march. Neither did we turn aside to hunt, although we were much tempted to do so, but contented ourselves with killing such animals as we required for our daily subsistence, and of these we shot as many as we required, without having to turn aside from our straight course. Thus we went on day after day, and slept under the shade of the trees or under the wide canopy of heaven night after night until we arrived one day at a beautiful valley, bordered by a plain, and traversed by a river, where Peterkin met with a sad incident, and our onward progress was for a short period arrested. 
It happened thus. The region through which we chanced to be passing was peopled by so many natives that we had the utmost difficulty in avoiding them, and more than once were compelled to halt during the daytime in some sequestered dell and resume our journey during the night. One day, it was, if I remember rightly, about two o'clock in the afternoon, we came suddenly in sight of a native village on the banks of the river whose course we were at that time following, and made a wide detour in order to avoid it. We had passed it several miles, and were gradually bending into our course again, when we came unexpectedly upon a band of natives who had been out hunting, and were returning to their village with the spoils of the chase on their shoulders. Both parties at once came to an abrupt halt, and we stood for several minutes looking at each other, the natives in speechless amazement, while we conversed in whispers, uncertain what to do. We knew that if we made friendly advances we should no doubt be welcomed, but then we should certainly be compelled to go back with them to their village and spend at least a day or two with them, as we could not hope to give them a satisfactory reason for our going on at once. We also knew that to go on in spite of them would produce a quarrel, and of course a fight, which, as it would certainly result in bloodshed, was by all means to be avoided, for we could not bear to think that a mere caprice in ours visiting Africa should be the means of causing the death of a single human being, if we could prevent it. "'What is to be done?' said Peterkin, looking at Jack in despair. "'I don't know,' replied Jack. "'It's very awkward. It will never do to go all the way back to the village with these stupid fellows, and we cannot tell them our real reason for going on, for in the first place they would perhaps not believe us, or in the second place they might offer to join us.' "'Fight,' said Makaruru in a low tone, grinding his teeth together and clutching his rifle. "'I felt deep sympathy with the poor fellow.' for I knew well that in disposition he was naturally the reverse of quarrelsome, and that his present state of mind was the consequence of anxiety for the deliverance of his faithful bride. "'No, no,' replied Jack quickly. "'We shall not fight.' "'Suppose we bolt,' whispered Peterkin, brightening up as the idea occurred to him. "'Regularly run away!' We seized at the idea instantly. We were, all of us, hard of muscle and strong of wind now, and we knew that we could outstrip the savages. "'We'll do it.' said Jack hastily. Let us scatter, too, so as to perplex them from the outset. Capital! Then here goes. I'm off, cried Peterkin. Stay, said Jack. Why? demanded Peterkin. Because we must appoint a place of rendezvous if we hope to meet again. True, I forgot that. Do you all see yonder blue mountain peak? Let us meet there. If we miss each other at the base, let us proceed to the summit and wait. Away! As Jack uttered the last word, we all turned to right about and fled like the wind. The savages instantly set up a hideous yell and darted after us, but we made for the thick woods, and scattering in all directions, as had been previously arranged, speedily threw them off the scent and finally made our escape. For the first time since landing on the continent of Africa, I now found myself totally alone in the wild forest. After separating from my companions, I ran at my utmost speed in the direction of a dense jungle, where I purposed taking shelter until the natives should pass by and then come out and pursue my way leisurely. But I was prevented from adopting this course in consequence of two very fleet negroes discovering my intention, and by taking a shortcut, frustrating it. I was compelled, therefore, to keep in the more open part of the forest, and trust simply to speed and endurance for escape. I should think that I ran nearly two miles at full speed, and kept well ahead of my pursuers. Indeed, I had distanced them considerably, but feeling that I could not hold out long at such a killing pace, I pulled up a little, and allowed them to gain on me slightly. I was just about to resume my full speed, and if possible throw them at once from behind, when my foot was caught by a thorny shrub, and I fell headlong to the ground. I was completely stunned for a moment or two, and lay quite motionless. 
but my consciousness suddenly returned accompanied by a feeling of imminent danger which caused me to spring up and renew my headlong career glancing over my shoulder i saw that the two natives had gained so much on me that had i lain a few seconds longer i must inevitably have been captured i exerted myself now beyond my powers my head too from the shock i had received became confused and i scarce knew whither i was going presently a loud dull roar as if of distant thunder struck upon my ear and i beheld what appeared to me to be a vast white plain covered with mist before next moment i found myself on the brink of a precipice a hundred feet deep over which a little to my left a large river fell and thundered down into a dark abyss whence issued those clouds of spray which i had taken for a white plain in the confusion of my brains and vision i made a desperate effort to check myself but it was too late my heels broke off the earthy edge of the cliff and i obtained just one awful glance at the horrid toil moil directly below me as i fell over with a mass of debris i uttered an involuntary shriek of agony and flung my arms wildly out my hand clutched the branch of an overhanging bush this slight though it was was the means under god of saving my life the branch broke off but it checked my fall and at the same time swung me into the centre of a tree which projected out from the cliff almost horizontally through this tree i went crashing with fearful violence until i was arrested by my chest striking against a stout branch this i clutched with the tenacity of despair and wriggling myself as it were along it wound my arms and legs round it and held on for some time with the utmost fervour of muscular energy my position now was beyond conception horrible i shut my eyes and prayed earnestly for help presently i opened them and in the position in which i then lay the first thing i saw was the boiling water of the fall more than a hundred feet below me my agony was such that large drops of perspiration broke out all over my forehead it was many minutes before i could summon up courage to turn my head so as to look upward for i had a vague feeling that if i were to move the branch on which i lay would break off when i did so i observed that the branches over my head completely screened the sky from me so that i knew i had escaped one danger for the natives believing no doubt that i had fallen down into the river would at once give up their hopeless pursuit the branch on which i lay was so slender that it swayed about with every motion that i made and the longer i remained there the more nervous did i become at last i bethought me that unless i made a manful effort i should certainly perish so i looked about me until i became accustomed to the giddy position then i perceived that by creeping along the branch until i gained the trunk of the tree i could descend by means of it to the face of the precipice from which it projected and thus gain a narrow ledge of rock that overhung the abyss in any other circumstances i would have soon ventured to cross the falls of niagara on a tightrope but i had no other alternative so i crept along the branch slowly and nervously clinging to it at the same time with terrible tenacity at last i gained the trunk of the tree and breathed more freely for it was much steadier than the branch the trunk projected as i have said almost horizontally from the precipice so i had to draw myself carefully along it not daring to get on my hands and knees and finally reached the ledge above referred to compared with my former position this was a place of temporary safety for it was three feet wide and having a good head i had no fear of falling over but on looking up my heart sank within me for the bare cliff offered no foothold whatever i do not believe that a monkey could have climbed it to descend the precipice was equally impossible for it was like a wall my only hope therefore lay on the ledge on which i stood and which i observed ran along to the right and turned round a projecting rock that hid the remainder of it from view hasting along it i found to my inexpressible relief that it communicated with the top of the precipice the ascent was difficult and dangerous but at last i succeeded in passing the most serious part and soon gained the summit of the cliff in safety where i immediately fell on my knees and returned thanks for my deliverance 
I had passed nearly an hour in the trying adventure which I have just related, and feeling my companions would naturally begin soon to be anxious about me, I started for our rendezvous, which I reached in little more than an hour and a half. Here I found Jack seated alone beside a stream of water, from which he occasionally lifted a little in the hollow of his hand and drank greedily. "'Ah, Ralph, my boy!' he exclaimed joyfully, as I came up. "'I'm glad you've come. I'd begun to think you must have been captured.' "'Ay, drink, lad. You seem warm enough, though I scarcely think that you can be much more so than I am. "'What a run we have had to be sure. But what, Ralph, your clothes are much torn, and your face and hands are scratched. "'Why, you must have got among thorns. Not badly hurt, I trust.' "'Oh, no, nothing to speak of. I have, however, had a narrow escape. "'But before I speak of that, what of Peterkin?' "'I don't know,' replied Jack, with an anxious expression. "'And to say truth, I began to feel uneasy about him, "'for he ought to have been here almost as soon as myself.' "'How so? Did you run, then, together?' "'Latterly we did. "'At first we separated, and I knew not what had become of either him or you. "'The fact is I had enough to do to look out for myself, "'for a dozen of rascally niggers kept close upon my heels "'and tried my powers of running somewhat, "'so I took to the thick wood and made a detour to throw him off the scent.' All at once I heard a smashing of the bushes right in front of me, and before I knew what I was about, Peterkin bounded through the underwood and almost plunged into my arms. We both gave an involuntary yell of alarm. "'There's two of them right on my heels,' said he in a gasp, as he dashed off again. "'Come along with me, Jack.' I followed as fast as I could, and we crossed an open plain together, when I looked over my shoulder and saw that all the other fellows had given up the chase, except the two mentioned by Peterkin. These kept on after us, and somehow or other we got separated again— just after re-entering the wood on the other side of the plain. Of course I ran on, expecting to see my companion every minute. Finally I came to the rendezvous, and here I found that the savages had given up all hope of overtaking me, for I could see nothing of them. "'How long ago is that?' I inquired quickly. "'About an hour.' "'Then poor Peterkin must have been caught,' said I, in a voice of despair. "'No, that is not likely,' replied Jack, "'for I climbed a high tree and saw the savages recrossing the plain alone.' I think it probably may have lost his way, and is afraid to climb trees or fire off his gun to signal us, for fear of being heard or seen by the niggers. I have sent Mac, who came here soon after I did, to search for him. It may be as you say, Jack, but we must go at once to look for him. With all my heart, Ralph, I only waited till you sufficiently rested. The body cannot rest when the mind is ill at ease. Come, let us start at once. I shall tell you of my little adventure as we go along. We soon reached the edge of the plain where Jack had been separated from his companion, and here we proceeded to make a careful search. Being certain that the savages were now out of earshot, we began to halloo occasionally as we went along. But monkeys and parrots alone replied to us. "'This is the very spot where I last saw him,' said Jack, leading to a palm-tree which stood a little within the outer verge of the wood. "'And here are his footsteps faintly indicated in the grass.' "'Ah, then let us follow these up,' said I eagerly. "'We might, if we were North American backwoodsmen or Red Indians, but I can scarcely follow.' "'Stay, here they enter upon a piece of soft ground and are more distinct. "'Now, then, we shall get on.' "'For nearly a quarter of an hour we followed the footprints. "'Then we came to dry ground again and lost all traces of them. "'We wandered about perseveringly, nonetheless, "'and were rewarded by again discovering them about a quarter of a mile farther on, "'leading down to the banks of the river, "'on another part of which I had had such a narrow escape. "'While we were advancing, I in front, I felt the ground beneath.' me suddenly began to give way with a crackling sound i instinctively threw up my arms and sprang back hullo ralph cried my companion seizing me with one hand by the collar and hauling or rather lifting me back as if i had been the poodle dog while you were as near as possible into a pitfall thanks to you jack that i am not actually in said i putting my somewhat twisted costume into rights 
but i say does it not strike you that perhaps peterkin has fallen into one of these we both started and listened with breathless attention for at that moment we heard a faint groan not far from us it was repeated almost immediately though so faintly that we could scarcely ascertain the direction whence it came we advanced cautiously however a few paces and discovered a hole in the ground from which at that very moment the dishevelled head of poor peterkin appeared like a jack coming out of his box his sudden appearance and serio-comic expression would have at any other time been sufficient to set us off in fits of laughter but joy at finding him and anxiety lest he should prove to be seriously hurt restrained us at that time effectually my dear fellow cried jack hurrying forward keep back avanti oh dear me jack my poor head said peterkin with a sigh pressing his hand to his forehead what an intolerable whack i've got on my miserable caput there don't come nearer else you'll break through reach you me your hand that's it thank ye there you are all safe my boy cried jack as he drew peterkin out of the hole but hollo i say ralph run down for some water i believe the poor fellow has fainted i sprang down the river bank and speedily returned with some water in the crown of my wide awake peterkin had recovered before i came back and a long draught quite restored him so that in a few minutes he was able to relate how the incident had befallen him you see said he in a jocular tone for it was a most unusually severe accident indeed that could drive the fun out of our little friend you see after i lost sight of jack i took a leaf out of hare's book and doubled on my course this brought me unhappily to the banks of the river where i came upon one of the pitfalls that are made by the niggers here to catch wild beasts and in i went i kept hold of the surface boughs however scrambled out again and pushed on but i had not gone ten yards when the ground began to crackle and sink i made a desperate bound to clear it but my foot caught in a branch and down i went head foremost into the pit and that's the whole of my story how long i remained there i know not if i had known what time it was when i dived in and you were to tell me what clock it is right now we might arrive at a knowledge of the time i have spent in the bottom of that hole all that i can positively affirm is that i went in and within the last ten minutes i came out we laughed at the free and easy manner of narrating the incident and then prepared to return to our rendezvous but on attempting to walk peterkin found that he had received a greater shake than he had at first imagined several times during our march he became giddy and had to be supported and after reaching our encampment where we found makarooroo waiting for us he fainted we were therefore obliged to make up our minds to encamp where we were for a few days End of chapter 15. Recording by Adelde Pinoroles.